Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark. We're in the first chapter, and I'll be reading verses 14 through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is justified and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of the Lord. So it was about noon on January 6th when former President Donald Trump took the stage at a rally on the White House grounds. He spoke for about an hour and said, among many other things, we won this election and we won it by a landslide. This was not a close election, end quote. It wasn't true, of course. It was an absurd lie that from any other person at any other time would have seemed laughable. But Mr. Trump made a habit of lying throughout the four years of his presidency. Now, politicians have a reputation for stretching the truth for political gain, and many have been caught in outright and egregious lies. But what Mr. Trump said on January 6th, and actually many times leading up to then, was different because it was designed not to cover up or hide something. The goal was to act as if what was obviously true wasn't true. So the more boldly spoken, the better. You probably became familiar in the last few years, as I did, with the term gaslighting. Now, gaslighting is a form of psychological abuse in which a person tells lies or flatly denies reality with the goal of making others question the validity of their own perceptions. The phrase comes from a 1938 mystery novel called Gaslight that was later, later made into a movie. And in one pivotal scene, the husband, Gregory, adjusts the gas lights in the house, causing them to flicker. But when his wife, Paula, asks why they're flickering, he insists that it's all in her mind. It turns out we are more susceptible to this than you might think. It's just really hard for us to believe that someone would be brazen enough to boldly deny what is obviously happening right in front of us. And it can make us question ourselves. It can make us wonder, too, if I'm not seeing this clearly, maybe I'm not seeing other things clearly either. And that is the goal of gaslighting to make reality up for debate. 
It's hard to know the extent of the damage Mr. Trump has done by employing this tactic again and again. We know it has led people deeper into conspiracy theories and QAnon extremism, and we know that we saw on January 6th an unveiled and unleashed example of that damage, and it was frightening. Far too many people are now living in a world that simply isn't real. One of my colleagues here at the church has relatives who were convinced the extra police support coming to Washington for the inauguration were actually being sent by Mr. Trump and that the fences around the Capitol were being put up to contain President Biden and the other politicians once Mr. Trump took control. It would be funny if it were not so desperately sad and so desperately scary. Thankfully, Mr. Trump's lies were not convincing enough, barely, to give him a second term. With a new administration, a new direction is possible. But the anger and the rage and the delusion in the hearts of so many of our fellow citizens remain. And while it's natural and right to be angry with the people who desecrated the Capitol and those who sympathize with them, I use that term fellow citizens intentionally. And at the risk of sounding condescending on one hand and naive on the other, I believe our faith calls us to find as much compassion and sympathy as we can. We cannot make these fellow citizens our enemy. And for our own heart's sake, we cannot get stuck in our own hatred and fear. We have to believe there is a way forward together. Now, I don't have any magical solutions, of course, but sitting with our gospel lesson today, for today, it occurred to me that one thing we can do is preach. Let me explain. We're in the first chapter of Mark's gospel. But remember, Mark moves fast, and Jesus has already been baptized and driven out into the wilderness when we pick it up in verse 14, with what seems like an almost passing comment. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee. We're not giving, given an explanation for why John was arrested, but we know from a little earlier in that chapter that, quote, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we know, because Mark finally gets around to explaining it six chapters later, that as part of his proclaiming, John had criticized King Herod for marrying his brother's wife, and that's what got him arrested and later beheaded. So, back to that opening line. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. There's that word again. It's a lot of proclaiming for one chapter, but it's a foretelling of what Jesus did most in his ministry. He healed, he comforted, he prayed, but mostly he proclaimed. He proclaimed the good news of God. Today we would say he preached. To proclaim the good news, to preach, 
is different from other forms of speech. It has particular goals that set it apart. It is not, for example, intended to give a platform for the preacher's blowhard opinions, as much as our experience may attest otherwise. And its first priority is not, like most speech, to persuade or explain or even teach. Preaching, first of all, is God's speech, holy speech. It's not that we are hoping to speak for God, but rather that we are hoping that God will speak through us. And the first priority of the preacher is to tell the truth and to tell it with love. And it occurred to me that if gaslighting is the telling of lies for the sake of hate, maybe part of the solution to the trouble we're in right now is to have more people trying to tell the truth for the sake of love. Maybe we need more preachers. Now, I know you may not think of yourself as a preacher. I know you didn't go to seminary. I know you don't have a, a pulpit at home. Or if you do, that's, that's kind of weird, but all the better. And I know that truth and love are very big, intimidating words. So let's unpack them a little. First, truth. As a preacher, your claim is not to have the truth. Your claim is to be committed to it. You claim to try as best you can to get to the truth, even if what you find contradicts your own beliefs and opinions. And if it feels ridiculous to think that you would ever be up to the task of something so big as the truth, believe me, I understand. That humility is a good thing. And God is going to help you with this. We'll get to that in a minute. Second, a word about love. Love may be the only idea bigger than truth, and with it too, we can't help but fall short. But our goal, our intention, is to have whatever we say come from a place of love. We don't preach to be right or to prove someone wrong. We preach only to help, to heal. We preach within a relationship of care and compassion, even with and especially with those who disagree with us. We imagine people in the congregation and ask, is this fair to them? Am I saying this to be helpful or hurtful? I know you don't have a congregation, but you've got an uncle on Facebook or a neighbor down the street who sees things very differently than you do. When you talk to them, can you tell the truth as best you can with as much love as you can? Sometimes, in an effort to be loving, we don't get around to telling the whole truth. And sometimes, we're so determined to tell the truth, we end up not being very loving. It's doing both at the same time. That's what makes it preaching. And on our own, well, it would be nearly impossible. So, 
now that word about God and God helping us preachers out. The thing about preaching is, the thing we're taught in seminary, the thing that sometimes is the only thing that keeps you going when it occurs to you that what a joke it is that it's you that's the preacher, is that we believe, we Christians I mean, that God can and God does sometimes work through the preacher despite the glaring deficiency of their gifts and character to bring some good news into this world. We believe God, not us, can change lives and change hearts, can change the direction of a country, can change the world through our flawed, inarticulate, biased, and blundering words. But God can only do this if we have the courage to preach. We are living in a time with much at stake. And too often, lies and hatred have had their say uncontested. And you may not think you're up for it. And by yourself, well, that might be true. But God is with you. And God is calling you to courageously and compassionately proclaim some good news. I believe this to be true. And I say it with love. One preacher to another.